All right. Well, good morning to everyone. We're going to be talking about conviction today, and I was just thinking our Thursday night lesson on doing right regardless. I was like, man, he's bumping all over what I want to talk about. And so there's going to be in some ways some uh, similarities, but uh, it's going to be, I'm going to be going a little bit different direction. And probably all of you in here has probably heard somebody say of some sort, well, you know, if somebody heard some sermon or whatever like that, that lesson really convicted me or I am convicted to do better or whatever it may be. And so I think all of you probably had some idea of what conviction in a religious sense means. And of course, in a legal sense, I think you're probably all aware of what being convicted means in a legal sense. If I am convicted by a judge, uh, then we all know what that means. We're going to jail. So Bible.org says conviction means the actual process of convincing, the state of being convinced, or a fixed or strong belief. The Greek words used for convincing and convicting are very similar. So this is, we can understand uh, what, uh, why uh, we can draw this conclusion. So one is being convinced. Uh, the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia says it always implies the presentation of evidence. It is a decision presumed to be careful, to be based upon a careful and discriminating consideration of all the proofs offered and it has a legal character, the verdict being rendered either in God's judgment or before men by an appeal to their consciences. Notice it always implies the presentation of evidence. So evidence is being presented. One is being convinced. There is a, a consideration of all the proofs offered. Okay, and so I make, so I see this. The evidence is being brought forth and then I am convinced of whatever it may be. And so this is what conviction is. And, um, you know, again, I think even from a general standpoint, we can all kind of understand what that means of heard this word being used. Now, I want to look at 1 Corinthians 14, uh, this verse, because we already, we just went through it not that long ago. And you all all probably remember the context here of there's a problem, everybody is saying, well, or seemingly that everyone is saying speaking in tongues, or a lot of people are saying speaking in tongues is, that's the gift to have. And Paul says, no, it's good, but you all, all desire to prophesy. And he says, but if all prophesy, an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his, hearts are, of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. So if this individual comes, and you, can just, you just think about this. If you, if you were an uninformed, you were ignorant of what's going on, and you go in here and you see this, and this, and this person that's prophesying, either he is prophesying God's words generally, or he is prophesying about you. And... Uh, or he, or that person, through this gift, he's able to know something about this individual. And what that does is this person, I mean, he recognizes that he can't hide. His heart, his thoughts of his heart are revealed. You think about the gospel and, um, you know, what it does to these individuals. 
in Hebrews 4 and verses 12 and through 13 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things were naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So the word of God, it pierces to the vision of soul and spirit uh, and is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So when I read it, my heart is going to be exposed. If I'm living, if I'm living in sin, I'm reading the scriptures, it's going to show exactly who I am. And so this person that's listening to this prophesying, it's showing exactly who this individual is. And we see the result of that. They are convinced and they are convicted by all. They will fall down on their face, worship God, and report that God is truly among them. And so they can recognize that they uh, maybe there's some sin they need to deal with, or whatever it may be. And they're convicted uh, by uh, what they are doing. And again, the Word itself convicts one. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight. Not, and so no creature is hidden from God's sight. God's Word is going to show that individual who he really is. All right? In John 16 and verse 8, this is talking about the Spirit. He says, And when He has come, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Okay? And so you think about what, what, Paul, or what Peter preaches in Acts chapter 2, that you've sinned because you've killed the Messiah. He was the Messiah. And... We see judgment there as well. So what what is the judgment for those that have killed the Messiah, they've sinned, and don't repent? Well, they're going to be condemned. And we see there, uh, and we and go back to verse 37, that they were pricked in their hearts, as, as, as the writer puts it. And so they were convicted of this message. They were convinced, and we see that because they responded, what shall we do? What must we do? And so the Holy Spirit, uh, through the words of the apostle, of the apostles, they convict individuals of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. Okay, and we see that throughout the New Testament. Now, I want to look at a few weeks ago. I had a lesson on conscience, and so uh, I think that we can't talk about this idea of conviction unless we talk about the conscience and how it. It controls our convictions. And one interesting passage is in Romans chapter 2, and verses 14 through 16. It says, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them in the day when God would judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. And notice what it says. He says, the Gentiles, they did not know the law. They were ignorant of the law, okay? But by nature do the things of the law, all right? So they just know that there are certain things in which they should do or should not to do. And we recognize that even today. 
it's universally recognized that people shouldn't murder, shouldn't lie, cheat, or steal. There's just some things that people know, and they do these things by nature. They instinctively know to do the to to do these things. And the law, as as Paul puts it here, these people that would by nature do the things of the law, but their, the law was in their hearts, as he puts it, and we see their conscience bearing witness. So the conscience bore witness of whether or not the things in which they were doing were right or wrong. They just knew. And uh, we see back in Romans chapter 1 that there were people that they could just by nature know God. They could know uh, the things, uh, things about God. And so they knew what was right and what was wrong. Their conscience bore witness to that fact. And then their thoughts accused or excused them. So if once some individual murdered somebody, although they didn't know about the law, they knew that what they did was wrong. Their conscience bore witness to the fact that what they did was wrong. And so their conscience here is where uh, the conviction is brought forth. And so this person that didn't, or this person that knew that murder was wrong, they wouldn't murder. Or else if they did murder somebody, they couldn't. They were. They had a guilty conscience. Uh, their thoughts were accusing them. All right. So the conscience is where this conviction is brought forth. At Romans fourteen verses twenty-two and twenty-three, it says, "Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves." But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith, for whatever is not from faith uh, is sin. All right? And I think most of you are aware of the context. These are people that are, that were thought that they should not eat certain foods, and they were doing this for God, recognizing that they were doing this for God. But why would they be condemned? You know, what is causing them to... to, to be condemned. Well, it's whether or not they approve of those things. Like if, if their conscience does not approve of what they're doing and for whatever reason, this individual just says, well, I'm going to go ahead and do it. So you think about, I think about a situation where maybe at I'm at some work conference or whatever, and everybody's like, well, we're going to go to the bar and hang out. And um, I think that that's wrong, that I shouldn't be doing that. But because of that situation... And because everybody's doing it, I think, well, I can just sit in the back and get a glass of water, and that, that'll be fine. And so I, even though I think that it's wrong, I go ahead and do it. And Paul is saying, in that situation, I'm not doing those things from faith, and so I'm committing sin. And so in Romans 14 and verse 5, he says, Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. And so that person is convinced that what this is wrong, and so he shouldn't be shouldn't have to partake in this. But if he does partake of it, even after he's fully convinced that it's wrong, again this person is sinning. All right, and so they are their conscience convicts them of what is right or wrong, and if they go against it, uh, they're committing sin. All right. So moving on, in Acts chapter 24, verses 24 through 25, this is an interesting passage. 
And it says, And after some days when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. I find it, of all the things to, to talk about, notice what Paul's topics are. He's talking about righteousness, self-control, and judgment. And, uh, you know, he's not talking about, uh, you know, love or all those things in which we, or, or I guess would say probably pretty easy to talk about. He's talking about the hard things. And how does Felix respond to that? He was afraid. What Paul was talking about was was putting, you know, one of these people of authority in the Roman Empire, he's he's making him afraid. This guy is scared with, from what Paul is saying. And obviously it's the implication of what's going to happen to Felix if he does not repent or he does not respond uh, to Paul's message. But Felix answers, he says, go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. And notice here that Felix, Felix did not have a clear conscience here. He was scared. He knew that Paul, Paul's talking about him. Felix is, you know, Felix is going to be condemned because he's living, you know, he's, he doesn't, he's not self, he's not exhibiting self-control. He's not living righteously. And he doesn't have a clear conscience, but he recognizes the severity of what Paul taught, but he wasn't going to deal with it right then. And so here we have this situation of his conscience recognizing this, but he wasn't willing to act on it. And so this was not any real true sort of conviction here because he just said, well, you know, some other time. Maybe when I got a better time. And that's a lot of us. We think, well, you know, maybe tomorrow I'll deal with it. Or maybe when I get older, or maybe when I retire, I'll, I'll, you know, then I'll become a Christian. And uh, we we don't don't have any scripture that ever mentions that Felix ever is converted. And probably he's not. And uh, he probably just forgot about what Paul said later on. And, but we see where... His conscience was being affected, but again, it didn't bring forth any of this true conviction in which, in which Felix acted upon Paul's message. Now, this is an interesting quote. And going, thinking about what a convicted mind looks like, or somebody who's convicted and says, I, I, I have to do this, or I can't do this. Uh, and G.K. Chesterton says, Merely having an open, open mind is nothing. The object of opening the mind as of opening the mouth is to shut it again on something solid. And I look at that and I was like, that is, that's 100% correct. And there's so many people that says, talks about the, the benefits of having an open mind and I'm just, yeah, to an extent. And what, what Mr. Chesterton is, point, what point he's making is, is once you find something that's true, now, you'd be looking for truth, but when you find it, you shut your mind on it. I mean, it's once you lock into that, that's it. There's nothing that's going to be change, that's going to be changing that. Now, I would say uh, we have to recognize that you, we talked about a policy this morning. You, if we can have a situation like a policy that he is preaching what he thought was true, 
Well, and, and it was at one point true, but then he is taught the way more accurately, and then he changes. But once he is presented with truth, that's it. He he is he is going all out uh, for it. And when one is truly convicted, there is nothing that's going to change their mind. But one, when when a person is convinced uh, that, for example, you know maybe drinking or whatever it may be is wrong, there's not going to be. That's it. Your your friend, and what I'm talking about is your friend or your work or whatever it may be, anything out in the world is not going to be able to change my Any type of pressure that's coming from the world is not going to be able to change it, regardless of what that means. Somebody says, well, if you don't do this, you're going to get fired. And that person, if he's truly really convicted, he's going to say, okay, I'm done. And so they're, they're willing to lose their job uh, over that situation. All right? But recognize that just like that individual that we were talking about, courage is necessary. You, if you, if you're, if you are a coward, you're not going to have any real convictions, or you're at least not going to, you're not going to act on them accordingly. In Second Timothy four and verse sixteen through eighteen, he says, and this is Paul. He says, "At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them." But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord would deliver me uh, from, evil, from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so we see this situation with Paul and that uh, no one in this situation stood with him. You know, they just, they, they've forsaken him. The only person that Paul had was the Lord, and uh, he was delivered. And I would say that I would say probably about everybody in this room has never been in a situation like that where they were the only one just that were standing for something. And it takes a lot of courage. That is hard to do. You know, when everybody's around you is against you, and you're the only one standing for truth. And we see how Paul responds to that. He says, well, these people weren't standing with me, but God was standing with me, and he strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me. And he, he not only uh, you know, maintained his beliefs, but also he continued to preach. He continued to do his work, and he was delivered from that. So we see that example from, from Paul. And then... Going on, he says, the Lord's going to deliver me from every evil, every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. You know, regardless of what's going on, he's going to deliver me from all of those bad situations. And that ought to be our attitudes. In Hebrews 11, verse 36 through 38, uh, this, this chapter is talking about a lot of individuals that, were, that, were, that is well known in their faith. And then you see all these, that as the writer goes on, he he captures a lot of individuals that we don't know the names of, but we see what they endured. He says, Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings. Yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And so 
at least for us, I, I would think that probably the only one things in this passage that we've ever dealt with were probably were tempted, and then maybe these mockings. I, you know, maybe we've been mocked, maybe we've been tempted. Well, we are all been tempted, but nobody here has been stoned, sawn in tune, to sl- slain with the sword. I don't even know. I I've never even heard of anybody in this country uh, dealing with any of that stuff. And notice what it is, and, 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 and the reason why they suffer them. It was suffer those things. It was because of their faith. And notice how the writer describes them: that these were to the world, they weren't fit to live, but to God, the world was not worthy of these individuals. That these people had this, had their faith. They were followers of God. And the world was not worthy of those individuals. And they were willing to stand for the truth, even with, even to the point of them dying, uh, being all, you know, having to suffer all of those, uh, all of those things. And they, they were killed, but also they were poor, destitute, afflicted, tormented as well. In Revelation 12, verses 10 through 11, he says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Notice, they overcame the world by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, but they did not love their lives to the death. They were willing to give up their lives uh, for their beliefs, for their faith. And these these are the individuals in which salvation had come uh, uh, come for. That those individuals who would hold up their faith, their beliefs, their, you know, Christ and his gospel, and were willing to stand for that even in the face of death, those are the people that had overcame. Moving on to some other examples in the scriptures. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 4 through 5, this is a, a interesting how Abraham just left everything that, that, that uh, he had known to, to follow God. And it's just, you see it, and it's, there's really, it just seems like he just gets up and leaves. There's really nothing else that, there's not a lot of information there from the writer, from the writer as to, you know, if there was anything other than, you know, what we see written. He just seemed as though he just got up and left. And he says, So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haram. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haram, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. So God told them to go, and they went. You know, imagine the, you know, maybe family members, what they had to say about this, that he just decided he was going to leave everything they had, and the pressure that could have possibly been there uh, to say, well, you shouldn't, you shouldn't do this. This is, you're telling me that God told you to do this. And that, that, that's crazy. You shouldn't be giving up all of this. But, but Abraham went. And we see, again, this conviction that he had uh, towards following God. Also in chapter 22, 
It says, Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And, of course, if we kept on reading, he didn't actually kill his son. But again, he was willing to leave what he had known to follow God, and he was willing to sacrifice his son because God told him to. And now we see the response that God had. Now I know uh, that you fear God. And we have some more information in Hebrews 11 of Abraham's mindset during this situation. That he wasn't just, it wasn't just this, just this blind, you know, just this blind obedience that he was just like a robot serving God. He knew that that there was going to be that Isaac wasn't, even if he was dead or he did die, Isaac was going to be raised up because God had already given him that promise. His the, his entire action was, was based on the promises and the belief in the promises of God. He says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, and Isaac, your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. And so, he knew. He knew that God was going to raise him up if Isaac actually died, because of the promise. And he was so convinced of that promise uh, that he was willing to kill that only, kill that only son. And we don't see any. You don't see any questioning of Abraham. He was like he wasn't. Are you sure about this, God? He just he just went and did it, and uh, it was because of those promises and his and him being convinced of them. Hebrews eleven verse seven. Noah it says, "By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear." prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Think about what Noah, you know, he's building this ark for a long time. And I imagine there was probably quite a few people that seen that ark and, and they were asking, why are you building this thing? And you could think, probably see by Noah's response, well, God told me to do this. There's going to be a flood. Uh, probably some harsh uh maybe some harsh replies probably a lot of people telling Noah that he was crazy that this was nonsense and he wouldn't do that for a long time to endure those things and notice what he did he says he he was divinely warned of things not yet seen he moved with godly fear okay he was convinced of what God had told him was true even those things which were afar off and not yet seen. And by doing that, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Again, convinced of what God had told him to do. There's one last, well, that didn't show up just right. But there was one last thing I wanted to show, and I was like, oh, this, this would have been great. I was looking for this quote similar to this. Uh, but this was from Carl... Donitz, I guess that's how you say it. Notice, notice his title. So he's a German admiral and the would-be Führer after Hitler. So if Hitler, Adolf Hitler died, he would have been the one in charge. And uh, notice, notice this quote here. He says, Politicians brought the Nazis to power and started the war. They are the ones who brought about these disgusting crimes. And, and think about, this just, this makes my brain hurt 
seeing this, and I don't know if this was after some sort of enlightenment of, or some repentance. I, I don't think it is. But this fella, he would have been the would-be Fuhrer after Hitler. And he would have been in charge of all of the atrocities that Hitler played a part in, too. And then he comes around, you know, after the fact, after the Germans lost the war, he comes after the fact, and he says, well, these are disgusting crimes. Well, they weren't disgusting while you were doing that. And while the, you know, while the, the power and the, the fame and the fortune that came along with it, you didn't say anything about these disgusting crimes beforehand. You just let them go. And you were right there along with them. And I'm pretty confident that if Germany had won the war and Hitler had died and he took place, he would have kept on doing them. And I say that to say going along to get along is not conviction. Just going along and saying, well, you know, well, my boss told me to do this. You know, so as in this is some type of excuse. Even though you know these things are wrong, that's not conviction. That's not what conviction looked like. If Abraham was in that position, he probably would have been like, I, I can't do this. This is wrong. Now, this is sinful to do these types of things. Abraham, Noah, or any of those individuals, they wouldn't have done this. And we see that contrast between uh, this individual and those individuals of the Bible. They're not just these wishy-washy people that, depending on who's in charge, well, that changes what I think or what I do. And I don't refrain from doing something that's immoral uh, because it's the right thing to do. I, uh, well, if, if I keep on getting the check, I'm going to keep on doing those uh, sinful things. All right? And also, I've seen this meme on the Internet, and it's just like, I, I think this sums up a lot of problems that we see with people that claim to have convictions but actually don't follow along with it. And it just goes along with what we've seen earlier. That, uh, we, you know, we talk about Hitler, and... And, you know, he's responsible for all this. And, and, and yes, he, he, he is responsible. But this wouldn't have happened if these people just said no. You know, it happened because of the people who were just doing their jobs, the people that were pulling the trigger. If these people, all these people would just said, I ain't doing it, Hitler would have had no power. And it was because they really, they may claim or understand this was wrong, but... Again, this was not a true conviction. These individuals, uh, bared, you know, they, they were just as responsible uh, for Hitler for doing those things. And so just want to bring that up. I want to talk a little bit about what conviction is. And, uh, you know, again, with uh, uh, Mr. Bailey's uh, lesson on Thursday about this idea of doing right regardless, is very similar to this, that if I am convicted, truly convicted, I'm going to do what is right, regardless of what's going on around me, regardless of the consequences of doing what is right. So I hope this has been beneficial to y'all. If there's anyone here uh, who wants to become a Christian, you know, is, is uh, convicted by what you see in the Scriptures and want to change and become part of that kingdom, we offer this invitation. Also, if there's any people who are Christians here, and they need prayers of the saints or need to confess anything, uh, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.